This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast for the 15th of August 2017, a podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anyone working with or investigating big data. My name is Dave and here is my co-host, Jon. Hello, Dave. I'm sitting Hello, at the beach. Where are you? Uh, I'm <laughs> I'm looking over mountains and fields, maybe, <laughs> possibly. Yes, just using our imagination here, but uh, as last time, we're still on vacation. So this is another pre-recorded episode, I'm afraid. Brought to you uh, by the magic of pre-recording. Yes, the magic of uh, everything post-production can offer you. That's right. So as we're on vacation, uh, we're bringing you uh, yet more fabulous interviews. Um, But uh, there's still no news, I'm afraid. Obviously, it would be a bit odd for us to record some news. And then uh, you hear about it a couple of months later when potentially it's old news. No, it's called uh, fake news now. Yeah, I'm not a big fan. (laughs) Anyway, what have we got today? So today we've got uh, Thomas Henson, and uh, he's from uh, Dell EMC, and he's talking about um, IoT architectures in big data. Um, It focuses a little bit more on some of the storage layer um, changes that... uh, a part of that overall architectural shift. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, interesting session. If you're looking at the alternatives for the uh, venerable HDFS, maybe some of this is for you. Yep. Thomas also has a very nice blog on big data and analytics. So uh, in the show notes, you'll find some links towards all of that goodness too. Perfect. And with that, let's do it. We'll be back with interview after the music. So today we have our special guest, Thomas Hansen, joining us. Um, Thomas, welcome to the Roaring Elephant. Thanks, guys. Happy to be here. All right. Great stuff. So uh, you were recently at the uh, the DataWorks Summit. In fact, you had a, a session there that we're going to talk about a little bit later. But uh, you know, just quickly, how, how was your, your DataWorks Summit? Did you have a good time? Yeah, it was pretty fun. Uh, we had actually perfect weather while we were out there too and uh, a lot of great sessions and a lot of a lot of people just kind of you know just walk in the hallways between sessions too just being able to communicate and kind of find out what's going on with you know the other developers and admins and uh, the new ecosystem it's a lot of fun and then the food was actually pretty good too so yeah yeah surprisingly so it's uh, it was uh, much better than the european summit i'd say that for sure <laughs> come on um, to germany that wasn't bad <laughs> so, so, uh, so obviously, you know, you're you're working at uh, at Dell EMC. How about about a, a quick intro to yourself, uh, what you do um, at uh, at Dell EMC, and uh, you know how how you got into this whole uh, big data space. Sure. So uh, I'm at Dell EMC. I'm part of the unstructured data team, and so what we do is uh, we actually get to go out and talk with customers that are you know struggling, you know, with all kinds of unstructured data. A lot of it's just, you know, large data, right? So like 80% of, you know, all data that's being created is unstructured data. And so, you know, it's fun to be able to go out there. But one of the cool things they get to do, too, is I'm part of our uh, Hadoop Black Belt team. And so, you know, the unstructured data team, you know, I work with uh, Isilon and uh, our ECS platform, so Elastic Cloud uh, Storage. But with my background, I'm able to, you know, go out and especially talk to customers that are looking at, um, you know, implementing Hadoop and anything in the Hadoop ecosystem, and so a lot of that, you know, kind of bases off of, you know, been a part of the Hadoop community for the past, you know, probably three or four years, maybe. So, you know, I always say that, you know, I, I can go back to Hadoop 1.0. So I remember when, you know, Yarn was just being, you know, being released and, you know, a lot of the changes that happened there. And so um, just been a part of the community there. I also do uh, site videos. So I'm a big data author there. And so, you know, I, I kind of focus on really helping uh, people get started. So I think, you know, one of the things that we need you know, as a new community is we need more people using the technology and it's, it's yeah. not the easiest thing to learn. And so, you know, <laughs> I always kind of, you know, take a, take a point of view to remember what it was like when I first started out. Right. You know, remember, remember going from your first sandbox, you know, to playing around there to actually going to a production system. And there's, you know, a huge gap, you know, I felt like for me where it's like, Oh, wow, this is totally different than, you know, <laughs> just using the new interface there. So, 
a lot of my yeah. courses kind of, you know, I, I try to take, you know, uh, a view from, Hey, if you don't know Java, that's no problem, right? Let's, you know, let's take a little, let's take a little bit of SQL and let's take a little bit of Linux and let's just start, you know, doing some things. Um, and I think that's really what we need is a community. And so I do that and, you know, do a little bit of blogging. So I, I'm part of the community and, you know, just really, you know, just really excited. I mean, this is, you know, I feel like this is a point for us, you know, in the big data, in the big data community and for all of us at this point in time to be a part of something, right? So like, you know, I remember we're going to my first Hadoop summit uh, when, you know, when I was just starting out and they were like, hey, this is like being a part of, you know, in the early 80s, the relational <laughs> database yeah, movement. Yeah. And so I bought a hook line sinker. So <laughs> I haven't looked back. Brilliant stuff. Yeah, I mean, we we sort of, we kind of target our, our audience really around the sort of people people getting started in this space, you know, architects trying to explore new technologies and, and, and that sort of thing. So it, it is definitely a – it's still a very underserved market. I think some of that is because, you know, you think that big data is relatively established, but the, the truth is that really you know, only scratch the surface of, of overall kind of wider adoption, I think. Yeah, I think uh, I think some of the numbers that we've seen, you know, we we talk about, you know, forty percent of you know enterprises, customers, people are struggling with big data. But I really think that numbers. I mean, you guys you guys are out in the field a good bit too. I really think that number is a little lower than it's probably higher, right? It's 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 you know, there's probably more than forty percent. I mean, and even even in my talk, one of the things that I talked about is you know talk about the explosion of data, and we have these numbers that are really getting close. Like in the next two to five years, we're going to have, you know, 44 zettabytes, you know, in the world. But, you know, I asked, I asked all my customers, I said, who's not struggling with terabytes and petabytes? And every, every person <laughs> raised their hand because <laughs> it's like, we're talking about the zettabytes and they're going to come. There's nothing we can do about it. But right now we're still struggling to, you know, with, with terabytes and petabytes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So um, you mentioned, you mentioned your talk there. Um, what was what was the title and and what what inspired you to come up with this as as uh, something to talk about? So it was the uh, future architects of streaming analytics, and it was like you know how to capitalize on the analytics of things. And you know what I really wanted to do was, like I said, I've been part of the community since Hadoop one Is I really wanted to kind of explore like what we've been doing you know, in the past and what we're doing now and then why that's changing and why that's significant for streaming streaming analytics. And, you know, we've been talking about streaming analytics, man, I guess for the past, probably the past three Hadoop summits, it's, well, I guess it's DataWorks now, but, you know, I kind of still call it the yeah, yeah, yeah. Hadoop summit. So I'll, I'll still refer to it that way. And hopefully, <laughs> hopefully everybody will understand. <laughs> but, um, you know, we've been struggling with it and, you know, we, for the last three years, it's been a big talk track. But you know, for from what I see, there's a lot of there's a lot of enterprises and a lot of customers and a lot of students, you know, just from Foresight that are we're still trying to wrap you know wrap our hands around Hadoop and some of the other things. And so, for me, I wanted to be able to do a session on say, hey, you know, this is this is kind of where we are, and this is why we're moving to a streaming architecture, and this is kind of the business case for it too, right? You know, what's what's going to be different about that? And really, a lot of people, I mean, it's hard to understand the difference between streaming processing and batch processing too. So that was kind of my premise is just to be able to say, Hey, you know, there, there's some things coming up. There's some reasons we need to change. And, you know, this is kind of where I see the market shifting and some of the tools that I'm starting to keep my eye on. Nice. Okay. So, so walk us, walk us through that, uh, that whole story then. Uh, where does it, where does it all start? Yeah. So I think, you know, really where it starts is just knowing what all these applications are and what the implement you know, what, what the cause, cause of all this data is. And so, you know, part of it, you know, I look at, you know, we, we say that everything's smart now, right? You have your smart cities, you have, you know, smart, you know, agriculture, smart, you know, homes, but what does that really mean? And that, that's where I kind of come back into the, you know, you know, called the internet of things or the internet of everything. Mm -hmm. It's, yeah. it's really about, you know, all these sensors that are connected, you know, that are in a connected world that are sending data, you know, and then we'll be sending data in the next two to five years. And so, you know, for me, it's, it really started hitting home when we start talking about smart agriculture. So my father-in-law, he's a, you know, he's a small local farmer, but, you know, he, he, 
he really does a lot of things that are kind of crossing over into my world. So, you know, when we start talking about some of the things that he's dealing with and, you know, just from, just from the equipment, like, you know, for like tractors and, you know, some of the sensors and some of the readings that they're pulling off of it. I just was reading an article, I guess in the last month or so that, you know, the, the most advanced GIS uh, tracking, you know, GPS tracking system is like with John Deere and they can tell you within an inch, you know, where it is on the planet where that seed was planted. And I thought that was pretty crazy. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and sure. I mean, I'm sure there are some, uh, some governments that maybe have, have, have better <laughs> systems that they won't publish, but just the fact that John Deere, you know, we're not talking, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't an article about, you know, our motor companies like, you know, Tesla or GM, it was John Deere. And it was about, yeah. you know, being able to cross over. And then two, um, so, you know, just talking to my father-in-law, like, you know, there's, there's like things that are coming with like vegetables. And so like, think about, think about how you do a recall with an automotive, right? And so you have, you have a car that comes off the line and these are pretty big investments, you know, so, you know, anywhere from $30,000 to, I think, you know, somewhere around a hundred thousand dollars for maybe some of the Teslas or even the other cars. So it's, you know, there's a good paper trail on where the person is. And, you know, if there's a recall, whether it be, you know, something, you know, something funky with the seatbelt, or maybe it's a more, you know, something that needs to be fixed a little bit, you know, it's a safety concern, but you kind of, you kind of can track that person down. There's a lot more time from the time that the car comes off the line, that the car, you know, goes out to the dealership and then it's shipped to the, to the consumer. And so there's, there's, there's a lot longer of a lag time to be able to find those recalls and call them back. Well, how does that work in farming? Right. And how does that, <laughs> so if you have some lettuce, there's a shelf life on it too. Right. So you have to yeah. be able to, you have to be able to find, you know, find the person, you know, that, that, that purchased the lettuce and you have to be able to alert them before, you know, they consume the vegetables or, or it expires. Right. And so, you know, that, that kind of builds up to the question of, you know, it's not just about being able to pull in the data and being able to analyze the data, but it's about the speed. And so, you know, I uh, provided some recommendations, which, you know, around streaming analytics, you know, one of them, which is, I mean, it's the biggest thing is the time, right? So what, what, what use is it for us to be able to pull analytics and get data if we can't, you know, act upon it after we've done it. So, you know, it's not, it's, it's not good enough to say, well, we should have recalled, you know, we should have recalled that vegetable or the, you know, that lettuce that we sent out, but it's too late. And if you've already eaten it, um, I hope you're okay. Right. (laughs) (laughs) There's the, the concept of uh, perishable insights, right. Of this data has a, a, you know, a a TTL or a a sort of regressive sort of uh, value. And the the older the data is potentially in the streaming world, the less valuable it is. And certainly uh, perishable insights with food expiring um, even more so. Right. And I mean, it's kind of, of, that's just one example, right? You know, that's one example within smart agriculture. Another one that I'm really excited about is, you know, the smart homes. And so I've, uh, you know, I've kind of gone I won't say all in, but, you know, I've started going with the uh, smart thermostat and some of the smart sensors for um, smoke detectors. And I'll be honest, the the smoke detectors was the biggest one. It's like, who who cares if it's a connected smoke detector? It does for me because I don't know about you guys, but I've no matter where I've lived, whether it be a townhome, whether it be an apartment, whether it be, you know, a home. Those old smoke detectors are just awful. Right. The battery, the battery goes out. The battery doesn't go out until two or three a.m. Wakes, you know, wakes your kids up, wakes your wife up, <laughs> and you don't know if it's the battery. So you might change the battery. Well, what if it was, you know, it could have been just the, you know, that there was some dust in it. Then you got to get out your yeah. dust. And so there's been 3 a.m., you know, you know, meltdowns from my, on my half where I'm like, what is going on with this? You know, I just want to sleep. I've got a meeting in the morning. And so, you know, that that is a market there that, you know, really sticks to me. But it's all about the consumer. So, I mean, but if you think about the company. They figured out a way. So, you know, with this, I don't know if you guys know about the smart um, smoke detectors, but like they'll send you reports and like it'll, it'll it'll send you an alert to your phone telling you when the battery's starting to go weak or if there's a problem with it so that you don't have to get it at 3 a.m. Right. So you can you can actually be proactive with it. But if you think about what the companies have done, they've they've created it. I mean, these smoke detectors used to cost us, you know, thirty dollars. Right. And that's pretty much, you know, the life cycle of smoke detectors is kind of a commoditization market. Well, I mean, we stuck a sensor on it and did some more things that consumers want. We realized how to sell smoke detectors from, you know, 20 to $30. Now, you know, you can get a smoke detector for 100 to $120, which, you know, 10 yeah. years ago, we didn't think was possible, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. It's, I mean, you, you were talking about uh, with the smart agriculture, you know, John Deere. I mean, John Deere is essentially um, reinventing itself as being not just a, 
uh, a company that supplies you know tractors and agricultural equipment but actually being uh, a, a data provider so not just a data driven company but actually you know data science at, at the core of not just what they do but at, at the core of the the data services they can provide back to farmers and that sort of thing so it, it's it's you know not just uh, it's not just changing the way that the businesses operate internally but it's creating whole new markets for them right and it's creating it's created off of data that they probably already had right or they, they could have had so for years yeah. they were like oh yeah we could we could get this information but now we've what created we a way for them it? to store it yeah and then and then to be able to analyze it and you know like yeah. i said create create new markets and create you know give new give new birth to you know older products that maybe you know i mean tractors have been around for a long long time right but yeah. now you know you can <laughs> instead of small you know, tractors <laughs> Yeah, exactly. We put smart on it, and we give you data, and it's like you know, a whole new life cycle there. Yeah. Okay. So, so your y- your session sort of really starts off with you know this data, where it's all coming from, um, the fact that it's you know a lot of it's IoT related or IOAT, depending on your your point of view. Um, wh- where does that journey go next? Yeah. So, I mean, it kind of leads into when I was you know working working through the session. I just counted up, right? I, I, I said, well, how many connected devices? Because I don't, I don't really see myself as on the bleeding edge. But I counted up, and I've got 25 devices connected just, just from my home. I mean, how much? How many do you guys have? I mean, where, where, where do you guys think you fall? Do you, I mean, you're, are you more on the bleeding edge, or where are you guys in the middle? Uh, I'm probably not on the bleeding edge, but I'm, I've got to be somewhere up there in the 25 to 30 plus devices i would guess <laughs> yeah if not yeah if not higher <laughs> no, I'm, very conservative. I'm very paranoid about these things <laughs> we read all this stuff so, in the news about security and people taking over your whole your whole household with those things that, that can't be safe oh man we'll worry about security later man <laughs> <laughs> That's not yeah, the advice you <laughs> That's what uh, that's what the uh, developers behind that uh, uh, that web based camera said when uh, when it got turned into a botnet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, but so I did that, and I, so I counted up twenty five devices. But I started talking to other people, and um, so like you know, just my boss and, and some other people, you know, you know that I interact with on a daily basis. They're they're closer on the bleeding edge, and they were saying that they they have like seventy five devices. And I was like, wow, that, that's a lot. But if you really look at the numbers, you know, and where where Gartner's predictions are, and just you know other predictions we see in the market, they're saying that just in the next two to three years, so by twenty twenty. We'll have like twenty, like twenty point four billion devices. Well, that's only three devices per person in a population <laughs> of seven billion. So if if we're just wrong a little bit, right? If just a quarter of the population has not even not even bleeding, say that we are bleeding edge with twenty five, and that the outliers are seventy five and hundred. But so if you just look at a quarter of that population having fifteen devices, that's closer yeah. to thirty billion devices, mm-hmm. right? And that's unpredictable data. That's that's data that needs to be analyzed. We don't know, you know, we don't know how perishable the insights are going to be on it. And that's data that also one one sensor can send you a lot of data depending on the use of it, right? Or it can send you just a little bit of data. Maybe it's not being used. And so you you have no way to predict how much that data is going to be. You just know it's going to be a lot, right? And I mean, we all love it when people come to us and say, Hey, I have a lot of data. Can you analyze it or store it? I mean, how do you guys react to that? It's like, oh yeah, well, wow, it's how much is it's a like lot? Chris- it's like it's like Christmas every day. <laughs> yeah, so we, we've all got jobs for a long time with, with, with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, do you actually sort of go into some of the some of the architectures and some of the some of the tools and tech that people need to think of for for, for streaming analytics? Yeah, so um, I kind of I kind of went through and talked about you know a project that I had worked on um, when I was first starting out. Like I said, you know, been part of the community since you know you know right around right right before Yarn was released and you know before Spark really became mainstream. And so I kind of did a you know past, present, and future. And really, the past okay. was we didn't we didn't really have it right with, with the yeah. past architecture. You know, I was on a I was on a project where we had to we had to do hourly insights and we had to be able to pull and analyze data. We didn't know how many, you know, we didn't know how many of these sensors that were sprinkled around that we were going to be pulling data. We didn't know how much data was going to come, but we had to have, you know, insights every hour, 
And really, I mean, we, it's, it's kind of a, a, a joke to some extent to say that we didn't have a streaming back then. But really, it was even, even worse than that, right? Because we had to wait on the data to be ingested into HDFS so that we could run, you know, run, run our jobs to be able to, you know, analyze the data and pull out those hourly insights. And so trying to get it all in and trying to analyze it, you had to make sure that you were, you know, what if your ingest time took 10 or 20 minutes? And then what if, you know, you know, what if your batch, you know, batch processing and your algorithms that were running, you know, took, took longer, you know, another 30 minutes. Then you're talking 50 minutes just to run hourly data and you're, you're, you're shuffling that every hour. Yep. So, and then, you know, we kind of look at, where the present architecture is now. And, you know, we're kind of looking at, you know, we have, you know, our speed layer. So, you know, you look at your real-time processing, which you might do, you know, some kind of spark streaming or, you know, you know, something, something that we're using there for your, your streaming processing, but we still have our batch layer as well. And so you're still maintaining that batch layer for some of those insights that you don't need streaming. And then you still have to store the data too. And so really what I look at is like, you, you know, you'll have, you know, Kafka as, you know, as your data comes in and, you know, Kafka will be there. You're like your messaging syncs and some, you know, some people use Kafka, some people, you know, build their own, but either way, you kind of have a sync that's sitting there and it's going to, it's, it's going to serve two purposes, right? So it'll, you know, it'll go with your speed layer to pull out your insights and, you know, support those dashboards. But then you also, you also have a layer that's probably hitting it for, you know, that's going to store the data in HDFS. And it's also, you know, probably going to pull some batch analytics off of it too. And so, you know, when we look at that, you know, that's, you know, that's typically what we look at and say, you know, the Lambda-based architecture, right? And so that was, you know, it's kind of where we are as a present, but, you know, we've seen, you know, we've seen a push for, you know, what we call the cap architecture, right? It's being able to do all that, all that processing in, in one layer, right? And not have to support a, you know, a batch, you know, a batch layer and then your speed layer, you know, for your streaming yeah. too. And so, you know, being part of the Dell EMC family, you know, you know, I was talking uh, with some, some of the other engineers, uh, we actually released an open source product uh, called Probega. And so Probega is a uh, streaming is a streaming architecture, but it really is abstracting away the storage layer too. So if you think about you know what we're talking about that messaging queue or, queue or where Kafka is, it gives you the ability to you know act as a you know act as a storage abstraction layer. And so your your data comes in, and it can be you know it can be queued up, and you can you know pull that data out you know whether it be streaming or you can you know pull it out for your batch layer and kind of interact with it there through APIs. Versus, you know, you know, having two different streams, and so, you know, on the back end, and you know, you can kind of look, look, look up, and you know, go to Pervega and kind of see what the, what they're doing. But essentially, you have you know two one and tier two storage, but all that's handled by the Pervega, um, Pervega processing. So, you know, they'll they'll be able to you know allow for you know you know streaming reads to be able to take one and tier one, and then also uh, it'll actually auto tier data out to uh, HDFS or uh, some kind of uh, object based S three uh, protocol. So uh, you talk about um, about Kafka. You know, d did you go into sort of you know, when people talk about streaming, they tend to lump um, you know a number of different things together from going from sort of you know real time at one end through kind of micro batch in the middle to just happen. They call it streaming, but it's actually just fast batch happening really often. So do you, do you kind of cover the gamut of the different tools and tech in that sort of space? Now, so, I mean, I kind of focused on, you know, abstracting away the uh, storage piece with Pervega. Um, we did talk a little bit about, you know, there, there are other platforms, right? So we talked about, you know, kind of the current current architecture, right? You know, it's like you're saying, you know, some of the mic micro batching or versus, you know, some of the real time, you know, or what we call real time, right? Uh, yep. Streaming streaming capabilities. And so, you know, my, my kind of take was that with all these sensors and all this data coming on, We've really focused a lot on the streaming and the processing part, like you were saying, the batch or yep. micro batch and the streaming part. That we've kind of we've kind of left the storage layer and just kind of I won't say take took it for granted, but it's like, hey, we have to be able to process this data, but we also have to be able to scale our data and not have to worry about you know as the data sitting there too, right? So as your data is coming in, you know, how's it being stored? You know, do we have duplication of effort and some of those other pieces? Okay, um, so you know one of the th interesting things in the in the kind of the streaming data space right now is is moving some of the uh, the analytics that are happening out towards the uh, towards the edge. So to a certain extent, you know things like you know NiFi allow you to uh, 
profile that data, allow you to do things like uh, prioritize data, encrypt at the edge, uh, filter, whatever. Um, and you get a certain element of, of scale up slash scale out for free because you're pushing some of that analytics, you know, further towards the edge. Where, where, where do you see that fitting into this? So, yeah, so I see that kind of, you know, last year there was a big, there was a big push and, you know, we called it the, you know, edge, right. You know, so being able to take the, the data at the edge and, you know, looking at how we're doing analytics, because I mean, in, in reality, our data is going to be everywhere. Right. And so, you know, if we're able to if we're able to analyze some of our data at the edge, especially for those insights that we need, do we really need to send the data, right? So if we can, if there's certain insights and you know there's we just want to pull and replicate that data back to our you know the core center, what we call you know our, our core implementation, then I think I think that I think we're going to see more and more of that too. We're going to see different you know hybrid approaches where you know some analytics. We're going to do, and we're going to run. We're going to run those at the edge, and maybe make those decisions at the edge at some point. But then, you know, we might not process, you know, the sensor and you know all the all the data that we need, and send it send it back to the core center. Or we might, right? It's going to depend on how we need to run that that analytics, and you know, what do we need from a batch perspective? Because we're still going to, you know, we're still going to have, you know, insights that we want to run that are more like a, you know, more transactional reporting too. And so those yep. those are decisions that we want to know, and that's. That's kind of that's kind of part of it, right? Whenever we're looking at a project, you need to know the time of the data. You also need to know the lifecycle cost of that data too. So, you know, yeah. do do you use the bandwidth to replicate that data for some batch processing? Do you know, you know, what the what the perception, you know, potential value of that data is? And so, as we start to more mature, you know, as a community, I think that we'll, you know, boring things like that we talk about, like security, right? And uh, <laughs> and um, uh, and, and cost, you know, we'll start to see, and that was kind of one of my points is lifecycle cost, right? Nobody, nobody likes to talk about it, especially as developers and admins, we, you know, lifecycle costs, no, you know, we're not, we're not in management. We don't need to worry about that. But really, I mean, if we start to look at our data and we start to look at our data as a product, we need to know what that, you know, return on investment is, how much it's going to cost for us to, you know, be able to store it. How long do we want to store it for? And how much, you know, how much insight do we have? I mean, you know, as developers and, and, and administrators, we, you know, typically we'd, we'd love to keep data forever, right? Because there is so much potential in it. But, you know, it, yeah. you know, at some point we look at it and you do have to assign a value to it. Yeah, I mean, it, I completely agree with what you're saying around not only would we, we like to store all data for all time, but we'd like to capture all data for all time. But the, the reality is that there's only so much bandwidth on the planet and, you know, 44 zettabytes of data isn't going to move around very easily. Uh, you know, data has gravity, and at, you know, if the the bulk of your data is at the edge, you know, moving moving that data has to be based on some sort of uh, some sort of reasoned business argument. And you know, we we always talk about uh, you know just ingest ingest any sort of data that you think may be useful, and you know, data scientists and and sort of people investigating the data will find a We'll find patterns and use for it later, but that 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 story only really stretches so far. There will there definitely is a point for the majority of organisations where you know storing everything, you know, even just getting everything to a, a core data lake is just not feasible. So you know there has to be a, um, some sort of value assigned to that, and yeah, I think that that makes perfect sense. So. Um, with the um, sort of storage that you're talking about and having people evolving their thoughts around the, the storage layer for, for kind of streaming analytics, what are the sort of solutions that you were, were talking about or the architectures you were suggesting? So mainly it was about, you know, a cap, a capital based, right? I think, mm-hmm. you know, there's, you know, it's probably been out for a couple of years, but there's a famous blog post that was written where they kind of coined, you know, going from the Lambda to the Kappa. And I still think, you know, it's a concept that we've talked about and we've seen in the community, but it's a concept that we, I still see, you know, I still see us, some of us, you know, you know, just still moving to in a uh, map reduce, you know, kind of heavy architecture. And then, you know, just now getting to the Lambda or still in a Lambda. And I mean, like we said, the data is coming, the, you know, the, the amount of sensors is coming and really, 
we need to, you know, we need to start evolving and we need to start evolving pretty quickly because I mean, it, I, I don't know um, if, if any, you know, anybody saw, uh, so like there was a, man, there were, during the keynote, uh, Yahoo put up a, uh, a diagram kind of showing where most of their jobs fall. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah. they've just, you know, they've just, they've just now got a lot of uh, spark jobs and Tez jobs. And you can see on the chart, you know, where the map reduce has gone up and Tez and spark have kind of really come up. But I, I, you know, I really think that, you know, that chart was like in the last year. So, I mean, you, so when we talk about Kappa and some of the, you know, some of these other things, it's like, Oh yeah, you know, we've been talking about it for, you know, a year or two right, right now, but I mean, we, we still haven't been implementing it. Right. It's, it still takes us a little time as an enterprise, you know, to make sure that we have the things that we've been talking about, right. Security and cost and, you know, some of those other things. And so it's a, it's a slow ship to kind of turn. And so, you know, I think that, you know, showing some of the tools and just talking about just even the concept of being able to move in line, I think that's kind of important and, you know, kind of, kind of where I was trying to hit and make people think. It's like, all right, so all this stuff's happening. We, we really need, to, really need to invest in it and kind of look. You know how how we're going to handle this in the future. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I thought was interesting from there, uh, the Yahoo keynote, was around their utilization. You know, their their sort of uh, utilization numbers again. You know, improving month on month and year on year, but still, you know, only around the sort of. 80% or so for some of the, uh, you know, some of the better services. So, you know, the, that to me suggests that even the people that are very, very smart have been doing this a long time are still sort of struggling that, that uh, to perfectly I sort of nail that um, balance between, you know, compute and storage. You know, you ideally want to be running, uh, you know, uh, close to, the uh, the maximum obviously you want some capacity so you can continue to scale out without uh, things breaking down but you know that it's it would seem to me that that uh, that story even with the very smartest people is is still uh, still some work to be done there yeah i mean it was really interesting to me to see i mean 725 petabytes just in their Hadoop cluster and with a 20 percent growth rate i mean it's just yeah. you know that's huge you know it's huge problems to solve at scale and it really backs up our numbers too so if we're if we're, if we're talking about 44 zettabytes and you know sometimes when you talk about it it's like those numbers are just you know kind of out there but then you see you see somebody put up there and say hey this is my cluster and scrolling at 20 percent and said 725 petabytes and that's just one that's just one new cluster so that's just yahoo right and i think that was yeah. just uh, that I don't think that took into account like the other, you know, the Yahoo Japan and some, some of the other uh, aggregate um, kind of uh, outside uh, forces that they have too. So that was, I think that was just yeah. their Yahoo um, US based. And so yeah, they're right. going to, I mean, next year at DataWorks Summit, I mean, they could, they could definitely be showing a slide that's closer to one, you know, one, one zettabyte or, you know, or, or, you know, the next, the next future. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so in terms of the sort of, streaming architectures um who do you th you know what are what are the major components what are the major things that people need to to think about when they're you know maybe they've they've done their first sort of deployment they've got their hands dirty they're fairly comfortable now they've got some data coming in they're doing some bi on it you know they're they're now thinking about a couple of data sources that they're interested in in sort of ingesting and getting some value from in in real time you know what 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 do you think are some of the first things that that you know a customer in or somebody in that sort of space needs to start thinking about yeah i would say that you know the three biggest things that i would look at and, and i kind of just see from talking with customers and you know just kind of being in the spaces you know we talked about it knowing that time value right so you know how you've got your cluster up you've got your data coming in you know you've got your feet wet what what other insights do you want to you want to pull in and make sure that you can time that the next one that you know kind of not really talked about too much is just you know when, when people say that i've got a lot of data that i want to bring in or you just have to know one you know what what's your ability to scale and so be, be able to scale you know with compute or be able to scale with capacity too right because not all workloads are the same so the yep. data that's going to come in from your streaming analytics that maybe you need insights on, maybe that processing, you know, that's gonna gonna take place, you know, has to be, you know, really fast. Or maybe you've got some workloads that are gonna come in and they're, you know, they're not as, you know, 
resource and CPU intense, and you want to be able to scale just by capacity, right? Because there's you know there's no need to you know be able to bring in processing and just just to have processing. And so yep. you want to be able to independently scale so that you can you can make you know better decisions, whether it be faster decisions or whether it be more cost benefit decisions. And that's kind of where the third and you know my final point is is know you know treat your data as a product and know that life cycle cost for you know for the workloads that come in and so you know it's part of you know kind of goes back to you know what we've done with agile development right make sure we have the business stakeholders involved in in the whole process so that you know you know it's it's fun to take these tools it's fun to you know go out and you know use use all these different tools and kind of cobble together these solutions but we really need to make sure that we're having a business business plan that's put back together or otherwise we're just doing it because it's fun and cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which it is, let's face it. But yeah, no, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I mean, one of the things that's quite interesting around this, I think you, you touched on it a little bit earlier, was the when we're talking about the life cycle of data, it's not just the, the life cycle of data, you know, in, in the environment that it lands, but as organizations get further and further down their particular journey, um, you know, they start to consider that uh, their data lake solution has become integral to the way that their organization operates. And, you know, as soon as that realization arrives, then people start talking about, you know, business continuity, um, disaster recovery, and those sorts of things. And, you know, when you're talking about, you know, the futures of streaming analytics and IoT data at, at significant scale, you know, those kind of DR conversations, um can get quite interesting. So, you know, are you certainly seeing that sort of side of things as well? Sure. I mean, and so, you know, kind of going back to, you know, my role in the unstructured data team at uh, Dell EMC is those are, you know, those are the conversations we have, you know, whether it be, you know, Hadoop-based conversations or even, you know, the, you know, IoT and some of the, you know, some of the streaming applications. It's just, you know, as data comes in, you know, wanting to be able to choose where the data is going to sit, right? So you, you know, you have certain layers and certain, you know, certain tiers for your data to come in. But I mean, if you have, you know, if you have more of a, um, you know, a, a tier where your capacity is, you know, maybe some, you know, maybe some SSD or, or something like that, do you want to be able to tier to maybe a lower latency, you know, uh, platform, right? And so, you know, when we talk about Isilon and ECS uh, from a Dell DMC perspective, that's where that's where we really have those conversations about, you know, the ability to auto tier data you know, and be able to replicate the data, be able to, you know, fail over in situations because, I mean, these, I mean, you're, like you said, your data lake becomes core to your decision-making and everything. And then that's when we started talking about, you know, that's when we talk about security, right? How are you securing the data? You know, what's, what's the cost of the data, but then also, you know, how are, you know, how are we going to fail over? You know, what happens if, you know, this network is down or I don't know, there's a flood or, you know, some kind of natural disaster, those things that you have to plan for, you know, they're not fun to plan for, right? But I mean, those are things you need to do because you don't want to be in a situation where, you know, you, you know, you have, you know, petabytes and petabytes of data that, uh, you know, you're not backing up. Yep. Yeah. I mean, so to that, to that point, when you're talking about peop- the, the life cycle of data and the, the value of, or cost, yeah, I guess both the value and the cost of the data, how, how do you suggest that people think about uh, defining that the value of the data that they've got, you know, how how do you suggest that they work out whether the cost of you know retaining it past a certain point is is actually worth it? Is it the do you, do you get them to focus on the use cases that are consuming that and you know work it back from there or um, what do you think that looks like? Yeah, so I, I, you know I think you can take it a couple different approaches, but you know basically you look at it as a two pronged approach. So you know talking back to the, you know, having those business stakeholders involved, right? And so that helps you define, you know, what your possibility of the data is immediately, and then to some extent, future, future too. But then, you know, the second part is having the ability to offer, you know, a lower cost, you know, lower cost way to store that data, right? So, you know, if you've got, you know, if, you, if, if you're running everything, you know, that's in, you know, in RAM and, you know, some of, some of the other things uh, around the Spark, you know, being able to tier that data so that maybe it gets disk and, you know, that can be SSDs, that can be HDDs, or that can, you know, be, you know, your on-prem, you know, your on-prem cloud or, you know, off-prem cloud too. So just being able to tier it and being able to be okay with the trade-offs of latency and know that, you know, you can bring that data back into the fold if you need to. So, I mean, it gives you, that way you're not given a, you know, 
an ultimatum, right? It's like, you know, if you, yeah. just, talk, if you just talk to the stakeholder and the stakeholder says, you know what, probably we're not going to fill some insights, you know, back there. But then you can present that, you can present that business uh, stakeholder options as a developer, as an admin and say, hey, you know, you know, we, we've currently got it living in this tier right here. I know you're saying there's not a lot, you know, there's not a lot of insights that you'll see, you see in the foreseeable future. But, you know, here's here's some options for us to, to move it down to a different tier so that we can have access to it because things are changing, changing. You know, one of the things, you know, I, I always joke that, you know, being being in big data and, you know, in the new community, a lot of people, you know, kind of come to me and look at me and they're like, oh, man, you know, you're like a data scientist. Can you analyze? I'm like, no, no, I'm the, I'm the one that presses the buttons, right? You know, I mean, we had a we had a. Um, we had a guy uh, in our group uh, when I was first starting out. He came over, and I, so I used to work for a, an unnamed federal federal agency as a contractor. And uh, this guy, I mean, he had a PhD in uh, physics and a lot of different other stuff. And his his office, I mean, he came over from from that world. And he, you know, he, his office was like he had all these graphs and all these printouts from what we did. And really, my job for him was to make sure that we had the data coming in, make sure that I gave him the tools <laughs> to use it. And pretty much just run them out jobs. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. and then and then, and then export it either to a dashboard or some way that he could he could interact with it. And so, you know, knowing knowing what you know for me to be able to predict, or I think for anybody to be able to predict, you know, kind of where we're going to need that data and how how it's going to work for you know maybe training some you know machine learning algorithms or, or different things in the next two to five years. Definitely, I don't want to be the one you know, and, and other developers and admins don't want to be the one to make that decision. So that's where we can kind of give the option towards saying, hey, you know, it doesn't always have to exist in this tier, and there's some options here and some ways for us to you know put it in a lower cost job, and then you know if we if we do need it at a later date, be able to you know run that you know run that training process. Or you know, maybe it's a batch process or a transactional process you want to run every six months to be able to pull it and you know the idea of being able to tier tier data back into you know your your main Hadoop cluster or your, your main storage layer. Okay, okay. Um, so you've touched on uh, Isilon and ECS a couple of times. Um, uh, I certainly know a reasonable amount about it, but our, our audience may not. So um, how how would you sort of introduce? Um, Isilon and ECS uh, to to somebody that's that's not come across those terms before. Yeah, so Isilon is a uh, you know it's a NAS based uh, device that supports multi protocol, and so one of the protocols that it supports is HDFS. And so by by saying that, we look at HDFS as a protocol. And so if you think of being able to tier data and you know, or being able to, you know, analyze data in your uh, new environment, you know, whether you're using, you know, CloudEra or, you know, Fortworks, you know, you analyze your data and your data goes to exist in HDFS for the most part. And so Isilon as a, as a platform gives you the ability to store your HDFS data in Isilon through a multi-protocol, right? So that what that means is you can actually access your data, you know, through your Windows environment, through SMB, you can you know access it in the Linux environment through NFS, but then also you know also consume that data as HDFS as well. And this is you know it gives you the ability because we we use a different algorithm uh, for storing data. So you know typically you know the default for HDFS is to do 3x replication, right? And you can tweak that, right? You can, you know, say, hey, you know what, you know, I don't need to protect this data as much, you know, at your own at your own cost and replicate it one time. Or you can say, hey, there's certain, you know, certain tiers of data that I want to uh, replicate it five times. And so from an Isilon perspective, we actually store data and stripe it, you know, not using RAID, not using replication, but we actually use uh, erasure coding to uh, stripe that data across uh, the network. And so that's what gives us the 80 to 85% utilization versus kind of like what we were talking about that we were seeing on the Yahoo slide is, you know, you know, even, even, even with their, with their numbers, it looks like, you know, they were, they were pushing, you know, to bump up to right up, you know, 67 to 70%. And so in most of the new clusters we see is, you know, it's more closer to 50%. So it gives you the ability to have that data at a, at a higher storage efficiency. And then once, once we have all that data, there, you know, your all your HDFS data inside, we're able to replicate that data. So when we're talking about the business continuity and you know being able to fail over and be able to replicate that data, all that can be handled uh, by Isilon. Okay, excellent. And and how does ECS fit into the story? 
So it's our object-based uh, platform. And so okay. object-based, yeah, so you start to think of, you know, the ability for, you know, S3 and some, some of the object-based protocols, but they actually work together too. And so ECS is, you know, Elastic Cloud Storage. It's our on-prem, so it gives gives customers the ability to have object-based on-prem cloud storage locally, right? So you can still control it. You're still going to secure it. It supports HDFS as a protocol, but it also interacts with Isilon. And so Isilon, the ability to tier Isilon has different different uh, different uh, flavors, we'll call them, but uh, you know different flavors for you know speed and some more archive. But then it can also tier with uh, ECS too. And so what it is is it gives you gives us the ability to tier it all. And so you know be able to take those data workloads that we were talking about, where it's like, hey, we'd really like to hold on to this data, but we just don't see any insight for it. Maybe in the next you know two to three months or something like that. Maybe we want to push it off to a lower cost per terabyte area so that we can pull it back in if we need to or run some analytics off of it. And so there's an interoperability there, but basically when we look at it, you know, ECS is the object-based uh, version, you know, that allows for HDFS. And then Isilon is our file-based, but they both uh, interoper- have interoperability to be able to tier between each other. Makes sense. Makes sense. So really... Um I'm guessing that sort of you you wound up your um, your session, you know, talking about you know some of what's what's capable today and how things like ECS and Isilon can fit into this whole streaming analytics picture. Um, you know, where where do you see that evolving to? So I see, I mean, I see our data lakes growing larger, and I see that you know, people using our data lakes more too, right? And we talked about the edge and being able to analyze data at the edge. And so I see, you know, when we're talking about data that exists at the edge, pulling those insights out and moving them. But at the end of the day, I still think that, you know, a lot of your data is still going to have to go back to your core data center, right? And that's where, you know, that's where Isilon and ECS with our, you know, with the data lake strategy there is really, really where you want to be able to come. So you're not just creating, you know, a data lake that's just for, you know, just for all your Hadoop environment, right? So you want to be able to consume it, you know, maybe with some object. You want to be able to consume and ingest data, you know, through your Windows-based traffic or NFS. And so I, I kind of see, you know, Isilon ECS with the data lake strategy being your core data center. And for your streaming applications, that's, you know, we're all talking about. So there's an open, you know, open source um, product uh, for Vega. And so it's, you know, incubated in-house at Dell EMC. It's now, I think, uh, May 10th, it was released open source to the community. So you can, you know, it's out on GitHub. But... It you know it, it's going to abstract away and give give the ability to tier data off uh, to HDFS or, or or to object, but all behind the scenes for the users. And so we talk about that streaming data coming in, just like we talk about you know in the HDFS world, where you know making decisions on your data and being able to tier it down. Uh, Probega gives that opportunity for you know your streaming analytics uh, and your IoT devices to come in and it, to be able to handle that you know handle that data off and like tier it down to HDFS. And so let that let that all be transparent to the users and the developers, so that they're just you know interacting with the API, knowing that their data is going to be there, it's going to exist, and not having to worry about you know business continuity and you know, where is this data being stored and is there a duplicate copy in our um, you know in our batch layer versus our uh, streaming layer. Nice, nice. Okay, so I guess um, for someone you know coming to this brand new. What what would you say are the the top say three things that they need to think about um, approaching streaming analytics and the architectures for streaming analytics? What are the what are the top three things that they need to consider? Just um, like I said earlier, uh, you know, I think the biggest important thing is, and you know, probably probably overset it a bunch uh, today, but it's the timing, right? It's the it's the timing of of that data. And then next, I mean, just being able to, you know, come out and try and make sure that, you know, the data that's coming in can scale. And so being able to say, you know, as data comes in, are we able to scale it? Does it offer the ability to tier uh, tier data? Because you want to be able to tier data so that you're not feel like you're having to make a decision where, you know, I either have to hold on to this data and have it, you know, exist in this one tier because, you know, you know, data and money and storage, it's all finite. So you, you don't want to you don't want to feel like you, you can only store it in this one area. You want to be able to tier it so you can scale and hold on to it for future use. And then also, you know, working with your business stakeholders. So, you know, working in an agile, you know, agile environment so that you can start to understand, you know, the insights that you're pulling back, the time, the time on it, but then also the uh, cost, you know, at the end of the day. Because I mean, that's essentially what we're doing. I mean, we're paid for develop, 
you know, we're paid to be developers and admins and have fun and play with these really cool tools. But at the end of the day, we're really trying to solve problems too. That's what that's that's what yep. keeps us being able to play with those tools. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Perfect. Sounds like a, a great set of top three points for people to think about. Um, so thanks very much for your for your time. There is one more question, which is uh, we, we, we ask this fairly regularly to uh, people that we interview, which is uh, describe Hadoop to someone who's never heard of Hadoop before. How would you how would you give that quick pitch? So Hadoop is a way for us to store and process data in a large system. So if you really start to think about it, you know, I like to I like to tell the story. You know, whenever I'm talking, you know, my wife's a uh, teacher, and so we'll we'll go and you know, people are like, well, what do you do? And I'm always kind of like, um, well, <laughs> you know, I work with big data. You haven't heard, you know, you see the commercials for big data, but you know, really, what I start to talk to customer, you know, or start to talk to my wife's friends and, you know, just people in general that are really outside of the IT community is that, yep. all right, so think about, think about when's the last time that you deleted a photo on your phone, right? <laughs> and they're going to look at me and be like, well, I haven't deleted one in a while. Well, do you remember four or five years ago when our phones were only, you know, eight gig or four gig? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And now, you know, most phones are 64 or maybe they're 128 gigs, right? Because you hadn't deleted a photo, the camera sizes are getting better. And so all this data is going and sitting somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so what, isn't, it, isn't it cool if you can take all that data that's already sitting and already being stored somewhere and analyze it to make better products and better things? I say, you know, that's what Hadoop means to me. And that's kind of, you know, that's kind of my role, you know, in this awesome world to make it a better place. And Hadoop is, you know, helping lead that. <laughs> I know uh, people kind of nod and understand, you know, because like <laughs> nobody's deleted a phone, you know, a photo or anything on their phone in a while. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, with that, I think we're going to wrap it up. I'd like to thank uh, Thomas for, for his time. It's been great catching up with you. Um, yeah, glad you enjoyed the uh, the Data Work Summit. Look forward to uh, to catching up with you in a future one. Thanks, guys. I'll see you guys around. All right. Catch you later. Bye. Welcome back. That was the excellent interview we had with Thomas Hansen. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. But alas, that's all the time you have for today. We hope you enjoyed the serving of bite-sized big data yet again. As usual, we'll be back in two weeks' time with a new episode. Until then, please go to www.roaringalpha.org where you can find more information, including a feedback form. You can also follow us on Twitter using the at Hadoopcast tag, and you can contact us by email via podcast at roaringelephant.org with any thoughts, comments, criticism, and other information you would have to send us. Until next time, my name is John. My name is Dave. And we look forward to talking to you again in two weeks' time. See you there.